This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. gang here rocking with you on a Saturday. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, uh, one, I, I don't know that we're really rocking, Jeff. And two, there's only two of us. I, I don't know that it's fair to call us a gang. Um, I like to think I like to think of it as the Saturday morning posse. You and me riding alongside or walking alongside with whoever's listening to this fine podcast on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and we're, we're with them. We're walking with them, probably on a Sunday morning. Because it's more, it's more yeah. of a collective, Chris, than, than a... <laughs> ah, the, yeah, the Shake Them Ropes Collective. The Shake Them Ropes Collective. We're going to have an autonomous zone. It's going to be great. It, um, you know that band <laughs> Animal Collective? Uh, I know of them. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, they were... When, when oh, I was in college. Hold on. <laughs> Never ask Jeff anything after, like, 95, I think, or 2000 in terms of well, music. Well, Animal Collective's not, like, super new. Um, I, I, I mean, know. They're st- yeah, they're, they're still active. Um, I just but, never like, listened to them, I don't think. Uh, they're also nationwide. What's kind of what's kind of interesting about them as, like, a group... Like, they literally are a collective. Like, there's a guy who leads it. I forget what his primary instrument is, but um, they really do just assemble different people inside of the animal collective group and uh you know they they do actually kind of work as a uh, collective so it's like a steely dan type of thing yeah 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 it's it's kind of like a modern it's it's not um steely dan it was like really super centralized in that one studio and i think animal collective is a little bit more you know they'll, they'll go all over the place um uh, and also steely dan really was between oh god who are the two guys in steely dan Help me out here. Walter, Beck, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. Yeah, Fagan and Becker, yeah. So, like, you're really working around Fag- Fagan and Becker, and Fagan and Becker are bringing in, like, the New York Yankees of, like, just heavy hitter guitar players and stuff and heavy hitter bass players, heavy hitter drummers. Um, and Animal Collective, like, it's, like, super wide range of instruments. Um, they, you know, they grab, they do this for this, and they, they'll use these guys for that. Um, and I knew I actually ended up kn- knowing a couple of guys in Denton who were in it, which was not that big of a deal. Cause I think at that point, <laughs> I mean, it's sort of a big deal. You're in like a band that people know, but there was also like 40 members of the cannibal collective at that point. So it's not like they ever got into like a group studio or whatever, you know, they were working sectionally. It's kind of, um, it's kind of the origins of the Dave Matthews band a bit. They, you know, they were, their first concert was my first year, uh, orientation at UVA. And then, you know, they had guys playing jazz at a bar down here and they kind of pick and chose certain musicians. And then it was like they eventually paired it off to what it was going to be. But, yeah, it's it's interesting to watch uh, evolutions of bands and things like that. I I don't know how to get a good segue back into wrestling. So well, uh, I, I, well, I, I can segue into myself here. I recorded some music here over the last few days. <laughs> I'm like three songs into an EP, Jeff. I forgot this is a us podcast, not a wrestling podcast. You know what? People connect with the hosts. They they want to they it's buy into the, the brand of the host, um, and, and they want to they want to they want to be our friends, Jeff. And I think we should let them in. They want to be your friend. I, I get nothing but abuse from people online. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's fair. I, 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 it's true. Like other people, I'm. You're more recognized and more. Um, like people know you better. Um, and I guess in your case, to know you is not to love you. But I love you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, the only people I get crap from are people who who, who are connected to us. It's it's like it's Cody and Trisha, and that's <laughs> well, yeah. But like, I mean, Cody barely counts. Wow. Ooh. Gonna get a DM on that. Um. Oh, oh, oh! Because Trisha counts more. Uh, no. I'm gonna get. A, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get a DM from Cody. Seeds is what I'm saying. Seeds planted. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so where to begin in this fine week? Well, let's start with news. Former Etsy chief financial officer Christina Salen has been appointed CFO of WWE. I think it's as good a pick as any. I do admire that WWE kind of goes outside to the normal business world to run their financials. I, I wish they'd pick a TV executive, but I don't think any TV executive doesn't want to be in real TV. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think it's I think it's one thing to have um, an outside financial person coming in. I think it's a, it's a smart organizational move for them to do. But it's also like, I think it's about as much outside stuff as Vince can really tolerate. Like, he, he can handle a certain amount of it, but the, but we also see the other kind of countervailing move of going with trusted hands and people who are comforting figures to him that he knows. Yeah, it's like, you can give me advice up to a point. Right, right, right. Um, and I think he knows well enough. I mean, maybe, honestly, maybe what it tells us is that uh, the people who could help him out on the financial side that he really trusts are just simply no longer in orbit. Yeah, I, I think he, he kind of just goes through people until he's like, well, they're not going to tell me anything new, and then kind of finds a way to get rid of them. Or he burns out those people. That's true. That's very true. You, <laughs> What? No, nobody gets burned out working for Vince McMahon. Yeah, no, he's totally not a management style that, like, burns through people and, like, burns the bridge. He keeps burning, burns the bridge as long as he possibly can stay warm off of it until it's absolutely just ashes. Speaking of expanding the brand, Alexa Bliss will be starting a podcast called Uncool with Alexa Bliss, where she will interview celebrities about their prior nerddom. I have thoughts, Chris. Yeah, so I think launching an interview show is always risky business, Daddy. Um, because <laughs> Especially if you have not actually done interviews before. Because you think doing an interview is going to be very easy. It was actually, I was talking with someone uh, who's a podcast host as well. We were lamenting the difficulties of doing interviews. It's tough. You've got to listen to the people. You've got to actively take notes. You have to think about where you're going next. And more importantly, you have to get a steady string of guests on who are interesting. And that can be very tricky. And if your guest isn't interesting, that sucks. But then you have to come in and compensate and be interesting or find a way to coax that out of somebody. All of this is to say that I would never recommend to anybody to start off doing an interview podcast first if you're getting into like doing a podcast. Start off doing a conversation show with like you and your buddies, and you talk, and it's not necessarily clear who's the leader or any of that stuff until you, one of you, hopefully you, know, hopefully you um, get comfortable enough on the microphone that you can then start thinking about, okay, if I was doing an interview, how'd this go? Because you'll, you'll prepare questions, 
but you also want to listen to what your guest is saying so that if something interesting is said, you can ask an interesting follow-up question and go back around to your questions on your little sheet. All that stuff's going to take practice. Um, And so this is our first foray into the podcasting world. I'm not super hopeful. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe she bops it out of the park. Maybe she's like a Mark Marin type. Um, and, uh, you know, ends up kind of like finding something for herself. Uh, but, but I wouldn't bet on it. Well, the thing about Marin is he makes every interview about himself. Yeah, too. <laughs> and, and also Mark Marin for a long time. Cause I, I was listening, I, I'm old enough and, uh, steady enough hand of the podcasting business. I was listening when he launched that show where he really hit his stride and where they really started doing the numbers is the early in the show monologue where he would just talk about his life trying to get his life back together at that point he, he had four cats and he was trying to work stuff out with his uh new girlfriend and i think now he's married to her or whatever but like uh, that Chris, part of the what Chris, the new girlfriend just recently passed away oh did she mm-hmm. oh boy because see i i'm kind of out of the loop <laughs> Golly, well, my condolences. Sorry, sorry, yeah. I didn't want to go down no, that road. <laughs> well, but he did get married to her, didn't he? Um, no, she was. Uh... See, the only thing I can remember about the girlfriend is she's she was married to Kevin Seal from MTV, which is just a random fact in my head that I shouldn't have out there. But no, I believe, I believe they were just cohabitating. Okay, okay, all right. I mean, these, these things happen. But um, I, I do think I I think you're comments i mean it's it's been a problem here on shake them ropes in some of the days when we'd have interviews and it was mostly just to plug something and they didn't want to get away from that but it was so hard coaxing a real conversation out of people because they were guarded right. and you're exactly right you have to you have to be both interested in that person and that person has to be interesting um long There's- time long time listeners will know that the toughest interview that this that this show ever had was we decided we decided to cash in our favor with Dave Meltzer um, on the day that Nick Bockwinkle died, and there was just no way that Dave was gonna be in any mood to talk stupid WWE crap on that day. So I I called an audible midway through there and said, "Hey, let's talk about Nick," and then Dave kind of opened up. It was great, but man, it was rough sailing on on that one. I, I here's my problem. I don't think celebrities. Most celebrities, like you get a few, you get a few that were real outcasts, but you have to have a certain amount of gregariousness to really make it in Hollywood. You're not going to be one of those (laughs) angry shut-ins who are on the computer Friday and Saturday nights in high school and then all of a sudden blossom out there you know to me, no, no this theater is... types think they're nerds but they're not actually nerds because they're involved in a heavily social activity that is theater and a heavily social dynamic that is theater i love bliss i think she's great i think she's self-deprecating given given that she is a very very attractive woman she is very grounded for that because you could you can always take that and let it go to your head and just be an absolute monster. And I don't think she's that at all. If you watch any any of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, she's very connected to her hometown. She's very connected to her old friends, which is important to me. I, I think the, 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 the thing that you see is if people become celebrities and all of a sudden they have a new social circle, then they never, they, they, they you know, it, it's a, it's a time-honored story in Hollywood that you dump all your friends who helped you get there after you've made it. Because you're looking to continue the ascent 
Um, but I, I just don't... Like, there was a rash in the mid-aughts of very attractive people basically putting on glasses to buy into nerd culture and say, I was a nerd in high school, I read a comic book, and you just kind of go, yeah, but you, know, you were still captain of the football team. That, that kind of thing. Yeah, or as I was saying, in the theater department and therefore interacting with a steady circle of friends. Like, to me, when you say nerd, it is the person who does not go out on Friday or Saturday night, the person who cannot get a date, uh, the person who spends a lot of time behind the computer or the television. Or um, they that, or they will hang out with their, like, look, I'm a, I'm a, good friends. Marching, ba- I'm a marching band geek. So, I mean, we'd all get together and watch movies. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it. The Stranger Things kids, where you like all are just hanging out in the basement or whatever, like those kids are nerds. Chris Rey Mysterio has been working without a contract for a couple months now. I'm assuming he's getting paid. Do we know how uh, much? Like, yes, do we have any a, idea of what he's making like per show? I have no idea. It's a handshake deal. Interesting. Uh, I'm I'm sure that that per show number is good for him. He might like this. Uh, given given COVID nineteen and the coronavirus. And the way that like WWE in particular has been sloppy, let let's be nice and just call it a sloppy response thus far. Um, he might like the flexibility that he has right now on this handshake deal. I think it's mostly to help Dominic. That's also true. I think look, you, you can't ever deny fathers want to take care of their sons. And I, I know a lot what, of people are that's going, really man. What high wattage was about Jeff <laughs> you know you, you'd ask me sometimes Chris wh- what is high wattage hey, about when are you gonna update that by the way because our patreon is still out there and we still have like 10 people on it oh uh, well, well <laughs> you know what let's uh I'm gonna do another episode of high wattage uh okay. yeah no I, I think it'll come back because really high wattage you'd ask me sometimes and, and it's true Jeff it's really an exploration of, of a father's love for a son Get it no, together. I gotta, I gotta recover to that. Yeah, I gotta recover. Recover. Oh, recover. Son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> God. But everybody's like, well, man, Tony Khan should pay him a whole lot to jump. I'm like, yeah, but you gotta understand a few things. Ray is. Ray is a god in WWE right now because they don't have real stars. He, he's, I, he's. Yeah, and he's out also. Kicking I mean, his he's coverage so right influential. Now. He, he, yeah, he's out kicking his coverage right now on this push. Because really, he should be putting over younger guys right now. And he's in the midst of basically their second top-tier feud on Raw. Yeah, he's in a, like, a high-profile feud with Seth Rollins. Now, granted, like Seth Rollins is in, at a lower profile, but like it, they are anchoring the middle of the show with Rey Mysterio right mm-hmm. now. It's Spe- a weird time in WWE. Speaking of which, Chris, WWE has come out and officially said... That the match between Ray and Seth at Extreme Rules, the horror show, <laughs> someone actually has to lose an eye. This is going to be one of the weirdest live event pay-per-view thingies, whatever you want to call them these days, that they have done in a very long time when you like look at the card from the bar fight to the horror show with Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman, to now an actual eyeball coming out. I mean, 
It's a Code of Hammurabi match, eye for an eye. Yeah, like okay. So <laughs> why even make this promise? Because they are like I, I, they're not going to get access to a real eyeball. Uh, I can't. Where are they going to go to a hospital and be like, <laughs> go to a morgue and be like, how much for a human eye? Hold, hold on. You are looking. <laughs> you have you have added a level of depth here that even this road dog knows somebody. Oh, they they're going to fake pulling an eye out, but they need to use an eye for the real prop, Chris. Come on. What, a cow's eye? No, Chris, they're going to use a marble, a white marble or something on a That's rubber That's not a real band. eye. No one can see through a marble. <laughs> uh, well, I, I have seen an eyeball come out during a match, but that was Vader and Stan Hansen. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Hard way it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll just pop right back in there. Is no Ray going to have to wrestle blind? Or is is that the Because the, I was trying to think about how does this play out. The other place out that Seth Rollins has to wrestle with an eye patch, which I think he'll hate. Um, and I, I think Ambrose was complaining when he had to wrestle with an eye patch. Like it was, it was not comfortable for him. It seems to me the easier finish to this match is that Ray, from here on out, wrestles with like sunglassed out uh, eye parts on his uh, mask. Uh, but is he going to then feign being blind, or are they just going to take out the other eye again? No, Chris, I figured out the ending to this match just now. Dominic's eye. Uh, Red Rider BB gun shoots his eye out. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> Stay tuned for a Christmas story here. On, no, that's actually uh, that's, that'd be an AEW finish. Um, Ooh. <laughs> well, Christmas story is over on TNT now. Yeah, I, I, I think Dominic turns. I think that's the only answer here, and then helps helps put Ray out, and then Ray goes on the shelf for a while. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, when we talked about what's the best angle for Dominic, the best angle for Dominic is to turn heel on his father and then try to build some sort of match between father and son where, you know, Ray essentially puts his kid over. <laughs> oh, they script those correctly. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, they, they, won't, they won't do a good job of that at all. Um, but maybe Ray has – maybe Ray actually has this kind of mapped out in his head and he can have a more active hand on it. That's true. I, I don't see him jumping to another company unless someone Unless backs he could push a, Dominic. Yeah, and or a Brinks truck. One of the two. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I could see... I, it's not impossible to me seeing him going over to AEW, but it would it, he would do it. It was the same reason he was doing it with Lucha Underground. Like, when Lucha Underground had Rey Mysterio. They had Rey Mysterio, but, like, the real point of having Rey Mysterio there was to get Dominic exposure. Wednesday night skirmish talk, NXT 759,000, AEW 715,000, AEW though wins the night because they have the 18 to 49 demo, 0.28 to 0.20. Um, both metrics down for both brands. Uh, AEW's AEW, overall number is actually now below NXT's, they're just, they, but they're hanging on to that demo. Yeah, and... That, that lead in the demo. Let, let's just say hanging on to that demo because that implies an overall raw number. What they're hanging on to is a market share of a demo that is reducing between both brands because AEW and NXT since the start of... Since the, 
remember when it was a war? You called it a skirmish. I think that's accurate now. But it started off as a war where both had like a million plus. Or we were talking about, you know, winning was having a million plus. I remember the framing. You can go and pull the receipts for other people as well. That's what we were talking about. Both brands have now steadily been around 700,000 to 800,000, sometimes as low as 600,000. This is not winning. Um, There is not attrition being made on the battlefield of television right now. They're losing ground. Both brands are losing ground. So when you see people like Tony Khan and Chris Jericho and others in the commentariat talk about the demo, yeah, it's, yes, you're beating NXT, but both you guys are losing. In a way, TNT is still very happy because they haven't had a show since, I think, Rizzolian Isles that has really finished top ten. They, they are a network. They were a network struggling for an identity, though. I don't understand that at all, because they used to be a powerhouse. And- sure, they, they sure did, um, and it was particularly in the 90s. Um, and it wasn't just because of W. The thing with, like, in the 90s is it was like, People watched TNT all day, right up to and including wrestling, um, because yeah, they also had like Thunder in Paradise, and you know they had other shit on there. I mean, right now they have Supernatural and Bones on like six times a day. I think um. <laughs> it's also the nature of consuming television has changed. So like yeah. AEW has given TNT a property that is exclusive to them that people must like actually want to watch. Um, that it's a must-watch brand. Um, even if it's doing small numbers. Um, but that's also true with what WWE has been steadily providing the USA Network for a long time, and also USA has been building themselves out with other shows, the whole kind of character welcome push, you know, going all the way back to Monk. Remember Monk? Yeah, Monk was... Well, USA has always had... Uh, when they got into original programming, they, they hit something, and then they just over-expanded way too much. There, there was yeah, the whole... Yeah. I'm an expert in my field, but I'm not an expert in my love life type of shows. Uh, so some... the, the push for that was um, characters welcome. Characters welcome, yeah. Yeah. You, you had yeah. you had suits. You had what was the one with Matt Bomer? Um, I, I can't remember. There was the, that show. There was Burn Notice. And then they did, like, the Sarah Shahi one, which is the one that I remember. It's like, she knows relationships because she's a relationship therapist. She just can't keep things going at home. I'm just like, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, those those types of shows. But, but to, to bring it back to the skirmishes here, I, I mean, I think the big problem for AEW is the main event numbers here, where the ratings really tilted in NXT's favor. Yeah, they they do better builds for their main events in NXT. I, I hate to but say, but they that. lost a hundred thousand viewers, didn't they? Over like that. I mean, they yes. they what, what appeared to be channel flippers, people who were like eh, Orange Cassidy, Jericho, or Adam Cole versus Keith Lee. I'll go with Keith Lee and Adam Cole. Yeah, I think the I, I, oh uh, Cole and Lee did nine twenty two. Yeah, Y two J Orange Cassidy did six seventy five. That's not good, and you can't really spin that one. Right. Uh, other and, than and maybe also, maybe the ad men won't notice it. And I think there also there's there's a lot of people that are just localizing this to Wednesdays because I I have the raw numbers in front of me and we are we are decrying what the second lowest ratings in history for raw. Yeah, this is and not a hot brand. That's that's the conventional understanding. Yeah, but their combined demos point five one point four nine point four eight. Their and that's in that's in the demo. No, that yeah, that's the combined demos. demo. The demo. The demo. The demo. Man. And that's the better than AEW, you say. The, the women's demo is outdoing AEW right now. 
0.31. Men's demo, 0.70, 0.68, and And that's what... That's the forest from the trees argument. I, I yeah, all the arrows are mostly going down. And you're pointing to the one arrow that's going up and going, see, it's going great. Yeah, that, that's my thing. You can't combine to SmackDown because SmackDown's on broadcast TV. And if I'm Fox, I'm looking to dump it. I really Oh, am. yeah. Well, it's also in like the Friday night dead zone, uh, which is like comparatively less dead right now because people aren't going out on Friday night. But I mean, it's not a great show. Uh, it hasn't been doing great numbers, and one could only assume whatever the coronavirus lets up for, I'm not even saying for the entirety of the country, I, you know, like that that could be a long time, but there'll be certain places where people will be able to go out more, uh, you know, uh, in, in more remote states and stuff at some point here in the future, and that means Friday night viewership's only going to go down across the board. Like, this is just not a property I think Fox needs to hang on to. Right, but I mean, value over replacement. I mean, the problem yes. was Tim Allen made Tim Allen made his show a hit on Friday nights, even if it was an older demo. Um, it was still a hit on the overnights, and then they replaced it with SmackDown, which is not a hit. And yeah, yeah, and I think it also misunderstands who's the market on Friday nights. That's that true. Older, that older demo is your market on Friday nights. Uh, this is not to endorse, you know, Tim Allen's show or whatever, but, like, his show was marketed correctly, in my opinion, to the audience that was available to you on Friday nights. Right, and there's some weird nostalgia where people are going to go back to the Friday night ABC lineup or the 80s NBC Friday night lineup with Miami Vice at 10 p.m. being a big ratings hit for a few years. And I just don't think... I think the nature of television has changed. Oh, yeah, for sure. I I mean, I, I, I also think... A more savvy promotion right now would be kind of seeing that and being able to produce your own product in house and even have it as like an on demand service. Like that's not a horrible way of doing this. You have a live run on on the internet, but people are just the cord cutting is going to continue. Well, here's another thing that a lot of people just don't talk about enough to me. It's it's a talking point, but it's not hammered home enough. There are businesses in television right now doing professional wrestling better than professional wrestling. Reality TV does professional wrestling better than professional wrestling. Yeah, like Chris Lee knows best is professional wrestling. Um, what is it this? What, what is the name of this show that I'm trying to think of right now? The one under uh, Below Deck, Mediterranean. You have your you have your baby faces. You have your heels. You put them in storyline, and they eventually con- conflict. I was going to say conflict, but I don't think that's... I, I'm putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. No, for um, sure. But the, <laughs> the babyface heel dynamic uh, over the last 20 years, it's not even... You're saying right now, but I, I think you can... This goes all the way back to Survivor, right? Like the first yes. season of Survivor with Rudy. Rudy was booked as a heel, and so was Richard Hatch. Oh, Richard Those Hatch... Got, no, Richard Hatch was the heel. Rudy, Rudy was, was, a relu- a heel. was a reluctant heel. Okay, okay, and then, all right. And then you had Susan, who I remember was, was kind of the Tully Blanchard of it, or Kelly, I think was her name, was the Tully Blanchard. You had a couple of women in there that were uh, that, that weren't exactly, the, the, they weren't the brains of the operation, but they went along with it. So you had the, basically you had a heel stable yeah, on for a re- sure. reality TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean, they, they went hard How into How I that. know this without ever having watched an episode is also just a testament to how strong this is in pop culture. 
Yeah, yeah, right. And I watch, I watch that, and I'm, I mean, I've, I've seen subsequent shows, but like they, I mean, babyface heel booking has now rippled into many other facets of television. Right the down bachelor. to the Bachelor is nothing but pro wrestling. Big yeah. Brother is nothing but pro wrestling. And even a lot of television news presentation, especially like oh, politics is nothing but pro. Yeah, wrestling. yeah, like, like the CNN presentation. Like that is that is a pro wrestling presentation. But your version of who a babyface and a heel is depends. On it, your no, you, that's it's a choose your own. It's a choose your own adventure. That's on true. Who, who who the babyface? But the most important part of that, Jeff, is that both like when when they bring on their guests. Their guests are always sort of orthodox, and therefore, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're there to not agree with each other. They can um, cut promos on each other, too, which, exactly. which we can't do in pro wrestling anymore. It's so, oh, God, just just watch real life, and you can see it. And it, it, just, it drives me nuts, because I think either of these shows, when you this goes back to demographic talk. If you're looking for young men to to talk about you in the zeitgeist nobody ever talks about i mean wrestling fans talk about great wrestling matches but when you talk about wrestling at the quote-unquote proverbial water cooler that may never exist again because we're all working from home what are you doing you're 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 saying rick flair or rock or steve austin catchphrases catchphrases that that was huge good theme songs also huge i, I mean it's crazy to me. It's like you hear Jeff Hardy's theme song and like I'm super lukewarm on Jeff Hardy, but like that dude had a great theme song, has a great theme song like that. And that's not even a WWE uh, house made piece of music. It's just um, this, this, a lot of the stuff was more resonant. Um, Randy Orton's theme, I think would, would be nineties caliber and would, you know, still sticks with people. A lot of people know RKO. Um, a lot of people like the younger, younger generation is into the RKO. Um, but for example, John Cena's gimmick is cool to kids up until you get into puberty. And then once you're in puberty, like, you know, people don't do the, you can't see me thing. Um, no, no one uses a lot of these, these other catchphrases from, I mean, other than the, and his name is John Cena meme, um, which was kind of like a weird ironic thing that kind of popped in there, uh, a lot of the wrestlers now have catchphrases, and they're at the—they're not quite at the "Hey, hey, ho, ho, Miz and Morrison" level, oh, um, but like they're also not that far removed from it. Like "Hey, hey, ho, ho, Miz and Morrison" is um, oddly uh, emblematic of the caliber of a lot of these the catchphrases. Yeah, and they—they're dispo- they disposable. As, yeah, they view it as a success because oh, it's audience interaction, and it's like, well, okay, but it's not. So, like, I'll give you one, and this is this is from a wrestler I like, Adam Cole, right? Adam Cole, baby. Um, it is doing some work for Adam Cole in the sense that Adam Cole is a pretty generic name. Like, Adam Cole is like Adam Page, like Adam Rock, Adam Stone, you know, like the, the, any, any number of short... Chris hates people named Adam. I, I don't hate people named Adam, <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, but, but sometimes you don't know him from Adam as it were, or as the people might say. Anyways, the point is, Bebe is doing an important thing to distinguish Adam Cole from the other Adams in the mix here in professional wrestling, and lo, there are many. But I can't go Chris Novembrino, Bebe, uh, but I can go if you smell what the Nova is cooking. I, I don't, but, like, you, you, you can. Um, that's the bomb line because Stone Nova said so. It works better if you smell what the hawk is cooking. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true, but, like, yeah, I, I mean, like, and, and, like, 
even down like SmackDown Hotel. The fa- I mean, SmackDown got included in the dictionary. I mean, now like that that's getting easier and easier to do these days, uh, including just straight up uh, negations like irregardless, Jeff. I'm over it. I'm over it. It's not bothering me. I'm not bringing it into my work. Uh, but it, WWE wrestlers now are not creating words like that and, and not creating catchphrases that pop into the popular zeitgeist. So it's not really cool to reference it. Even right down to like Flair's woo. You see NBAers do that, but, I mean, the last person who actually had that connection with popular culture in WWE was Daniel Bryan, and the company couldn't get away from that as, like, fast enough for their own liking. <laughs> yeah. Remember uh, with uh, the, the, uh, the yes uh, San Francisco, yeah, the Yes mm-hmm. Movement stiff connected with the Giants. The guy mm-hmm. from the Giants was doing Yes. Yeah, and they they, and they, they haven't and they had anything like that since. It's been a desert, and they wouldn't cash in on it. That, that no. was the thing that killed me. It's like, no, you make this a bigger thing. You start with, like, when they did that. I my question was, could they make this into guerrilla advertising, and do so much more with it? Like, you have street teams putting up yes stickers just yes. all over walls or whatever, and really like the, make uh, this. Remember the Andre the Giant has a posse. Yes, stickers? exactly. Just yeah, like which that. which had nothing to do with wrestling. Like that was just something else. But like that kept Andre the Giant in people's heads if you were of a certain generation. Because like, dude, I used to see those Andre the Giant has a posse stickers everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I think if they had capitalized on that, maybe going back to what we were talking about earlier in the show, the ratings in this steady downward arc over the last several years. I'm not saying that Daniel Bryan alone could have saved the industry, but maybe Daniel Bryan um, and sustaining the Yes movement would have given the industry, um, and particularly WWE, enough juice to launch another character. Maybe if they had pushed Bailey the right way, um, that would, and you had Bailey and Daniel Bryan as the flagship people for this last decade here, maybe they'd be in a different place. Maybe well, their ratings would be stronger. What you are saying is stronger. you want likable baby faces, and that is a perfect segue into wrestling talk yeah, because we have it. Drew McIntyre coming out doing a weird John Cena-like promo about lasers and stuff. And then it turns out he's just a bad friend because Heath Slater comes out, cuts the promo of his career. I loved Heath Slater. Heath Slater, a guy who knows how to get over no matter what situation you put him in. And I now I want to see if he can go in the ring because they never really gave him that aspect of it but i also again, think he looks tougher at a little bit older like he, he has the thing that happens for some dudes where it's like the the wrinkles and the skin gets a little bit older but like it doesn't like he was so like young looking when he was younger like yeah he, he's it, a little yeah. darker yeah you see a no, little bit more of the freckles and the age yeah, spots coming I like the in grizzling. For the grizzling looks good on him mm-hmm. yeah no it looks good on him it gives him some toughness um working from under like you know it, it just he seems like a guy you could really sink your teeth into now when if he chose to go heel and also a guy you could really sink your teeth into now as a baby face because you're pulling for this dude and you could like really feel his struggle um i yeah i'm interested to see if he can go in the ring, because if he can, this is a, this is a a talented dude um, that I, I think certainly WWE has been missing the boat on. He's not coming to WWE. I think he's going to TNA, and because they they he he was there not under contract. He was there at the behest of Drew, who wanted to help his friends. Um, 
that's backstage. On screen, though, Chris, he's a man so consumed with success and being the alpha, he doesn't call his friends. And that is such a that is such a Vince trademark. And now we get into this Harry Chapin cats in the cradle type thing where <laughs> how come you didn't call me, Drew? I called you when you were fired. Um it's yeah, weird. I, like this and this is very much Vince's conception of like what being a, a strong successful. dude is. Yeah, successful yes. and strong or whatever, but like for all of us we look at this and go, wow, that's a total dick move sort of thing. Jerk move. He beats him in like three seconds. Because- yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. You see, you, then you put in all this equity into Heath Slater just to wipe it off the, I, I mean, the, and, and the moral Drew of the story away. was what? Yeah, and the, the Drew walks away <laughs> and only comes back when he sees that Heath is getting attacked. So, like, I mean, it, it's just... And then Slater's, like, all cool with it. And you're just like, all right, look, none of you have ever been in a friendship that crumbled and then got And they didn't really explain Ziggler's manipulation of Slater's mindset either. Like, there were were clear beats missing in this story. Like, what there really needed to be was a scene before this scene where Ziggler is talking to Slater and, like, they have an extended interaction. And then we build to this interaction between Heath and Drew and Ziggler. Like, if you're um, really going to go into the Heath Slater was fired and now he's back for this one shot, I mean, go all the way in. Have him come back. Uh, look, I, d- I didn't really want to come back here because everybody knows he was let go. I think everybody knows that. I don't know if everybody knows. You know, because I think Vince is just assuming, oh, we'll just bring out Heath and nobody will know the difference. But, you know, I'd go hard in the skid. I'd go, hey, you know what? I don't feel comfortable being here. I'm not really employed here. And you kind of do kind of a weird heelish Drake Maverick type thing where you go, hey, you're going to get a title shot tonight because I'm going to talk talk him into it. And if you win, you get your job back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ziggler, Ziggler sets all of this up and really kind mm-hmm. of gets into Heath Slater's mind. Like, I mean, but then, then what you need to do is have a semi-competitive match against Drew McIntyre. It doesn't need to be very long, but at least for the first – Three to four minutes of the match, Slater really needs to be wailing, playing through his aggression in absolute desperation mode. You have um, to buy into the possibility he can win. That he might be able to eke this one out because mm-hmm. he's being so like savage on Drew. Which um, is going to be a very ironic line coming from me because when we get into AEW talk, that's their big problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But like, I mean, this became, this was like not even a squash match, really. Uh, you know, it's like Drew barely it was broke. Worse a- than a squash yeah. match. Yeah, Drew barely broke a sweat. You broke. You you built up a guy as talented, and then you beat him in two seconds. Yeah, it it, it was uh, like one could be forgiven for forgetting they even had a match. Chris are Andrade and Angel Garza the new Singh brothers. <laughs> it sure feels like it. Um, that they, Randy Orton stuff is not helping them. No, <laughs> no. I, I mean, he made them both look like goobers. And I, I mean, here's the thing. I think Randy is actually legitimately respectful of these dudes. It doesn't, you know, he wasn't trying to bury them. He's just given material that does nothing but bury them. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's one of those weird things. And it's also just because of the height dynamic. Yes. That just feels like... Okay, we're building these two up 
for a tag team title shot, but we're also putting red shirts on them at the same time. And then yeah. you have the bicker, and the bickering is supposed to be character development. That's the thing is it, it's the thing that really red shirts them is the fact that like what he's really doing is he's just completely stepping over Zelina Vegas' head, and it makes it look like he can come in and manipulate all three of them rather effortlessly with the assistance of uh, the mushmouth Ric Flair. Yeah, and Big Show being involved in this is it's like it's a two thousand. <laughs> 2010 angle all of a sudden and show has had times here in the last decade where he's actually turned in okay in ring performances but like this is not one of these periods and then finally the highlight of raw for me uh anything involving aunt pam and sasha and Kyrie and oscar uh looks like Kyrie saying might be sticking around a little longer i don't know we kind of we had legitimate reports that she was going to be on her way out. So, but I loved, I loved the Kyrie Sasha match. I loved the Oscar Bailey match. I, I, uh, I, I wanted clean finishes, but I understand that they're promoting storyline up until extreme rules. And that's fine. Um, that, that back fist by Oscar and Bailey, Ooh. man. Ooh. And, and I wish he had kept character. I wish he had kept character, but I understand that it would these... be legitimately surprising to realize that you just hit someone with that much force. Yeah. She, I... she waylaid her. Bailey's just a trooper. I mean, she, yeah, no, she, I... she knew she got hit and she went out of the ring to try and compose herself and found it. But man, that thing, I went, whoo, but Hell I, yeah, I that was it. a potato, man. That, yeah, no, I mean, I would not. And they were already hitting each other pretty hard. No, but with. that that one would have uh, been a shot because that was like right to the, the cabeza. Yeah, that was, that was a lot. I am here for the tag match on Monday. I loved the uh, insane elbow from the top to the floor. It looks like they took – it looked like Bailey took the brunt of that one too. Um, yeah, I, I, these these four women can, can fight forever, and I'd be and, happy with it. And they all seem it. to be having fun right now That's... too. Yeah, like, it, you know, it, when Sasha's not having fun, we all know about it. Um, There's a weird picture I have. It's it's the pinned one on my tweet on my Twitter of Bailey watching the Sasha match with this just crap eating grin on her face and flexing her arms. And you just all four of them are having the time of their life doing this. This this looks like whatever it's going to be. This is playtime versus this is work. And they're doing things that they want to do and they're doing matches they want to do. And you can just see it in the work. And it's so this is part of what gets me jacked up for this. It's not that the obnoxiousness is always great. It's not that the matches are always five star classics. No, it no, no. It's like but they're the having quality, fun. Quality and entertainment comes from what you're saying. The performers having fun. Um, and, and if you look back to like a lot of the great matches from yesteryear or whatever, sometimes it was true that like Brett and Sean could hate the hell out of each other in real life um, and also somehow turn in magic in the ring. But in a lot of cases, the best in-ring wrestling stuff were guys, all of them, having fun and really legitimately enjoying working with each other. Yeah, like, and like Christian, the, all... the, the Dudley boys and the Hardys actually enjoying working with each other. The Undertaker or, and Mankind actually enjoying working with each other. Or even on the promo front, when you watch those, like, <laughs> cocaine-fueled mid-'80s territory things where they're just they're just having fun ragging on each other on oh, the yeah, mic. Yeah, totally. Uh, like, I mean, if and, you and, watch... 
if oh, you watch ahead. Bailey before Sasha came back and look at how she's floundering to find her character and where she is now, it's night and day. It's absolutely night and day. Yeah. Um, and you, you go back to the Rock and Roll Express, uh, Cornet with uh, Midnight Express. When, when like, a lot of these guys are having fun interacting with each other, the, the promos just sort of write themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then the interactions, it's like the little funny zingers and, like, throwaway lines and stuff. The stuff that, like, you don't remember, even when you're doing a recap show like this. But all the little stuff. It just falls into place, and you can't contrive it. And if you sat there and tried to write, you can't write organic. It's really, really, really hard. Organic just happens. I Look, I will be forgiving of a segment as stupid, and it was unredeemably stupid but fun. When they interview the Kabuki Warriors and Kyrie starts playing the theme on the recorder, and Asuka's just dancing to it, and you're watching this going... If anybody walked in the room right now, I'd probably flip the channel or I'd say, this is hilarious. Come sit down and watch it. I, you know, I, <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous, but they're, they bought into it and they're having a blast doing it and I'll, I'll be forgiving of that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm on board and, and the work is good. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, consequently on SmackDown, I thought Alexa and, and Nikki have great chemistry with uh, Bailey and Sasha as well. I, I really liked this. <laughs> Nikki is just so weird that that it's it's gone through the it's gone through the looking glass of me hating it for a while, and now I just love watching her just be insane. All the I time. like how much Nikki bothers Bailey, and <laughs> Bailey is doing a very good job selling the annoyance in the front like just like what is wrong with this person um like in the same way that like nikki in certain ways is like a a bizarro version of the way bailey used to be um, yeah particularly particularly as a baby face um like really ecstatic really wants you know to be a champion like like it has many of the same character traits that bailey once had so bailey now as a heel has the revulsion of seeing oneself in the mirror or seeing the way one used to be. And if you watch that tag match, you can see both Sasha and Alexa needling each other too, which is which is funny on many, many fronts, but you can just see it. And it, 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 the interplay, even if it's just on screen, is just so fantastic. I, I'm loving the women's division is really keeping me. Uh, into the main it forgives the men's division yes. here on WWE because, like, I mean, you know, on we're on SmackDown here, so well, you're we'll not big think. into a swamp fight. <laughs> I'm not into a swamp fight, but I gotta tell you, the Jeff Hardy stuff oh. is it's one who needs to see this much Jeff Hardy uh, in, in 2020 right now. No, like some knock on Jeff Hardy. Um, who needs to see that this much Jeff Hardy? Who needs to see this much Sheamus? Some knock on Sheamus here, too. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say no knock on Sheamus. Or obviously, I'm knocking them a little bit. Um, but, God, this angle is... It's tacky. And, and the defense is, well, I like tacky in professional wrestling. This is even, like, entertaining tacky. This isn't building to something tacky. And, like, I'll just say this for my own personal life. I, I don't drink. I'm sure I've mentioned that on the air. But the reason I don't drink is not because I had a drinking problem, but because I have known so many people who have had a drinking problem and how serious that stuff is. And, and it ultimately kind of... Uh, and I, You remember my original co-host uh, when I was first starting here on Stipulation? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
drinking problem. That's a reason why he's not doing radio anymore. Uh, he like completely fell off the wagon. Um, like this stuff does ruin people's lives, and so it's not fun. It's not like I can't watch it, but I don't enjoy watching addiction and stuff being made light of. And I think it's an unenlightened way to look at this stuff. And oh, by the way, right now in America, like opioid addiction is a real problem. This is something that, like probably is affecting viewers and you have been sort of like poking fun at it and having fun at it and the heels having fun at it. And I just, who gains from this? I, I, I think you can, whatever heat you're getting off of this, you could get a completely different way without doing this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's that combined with the fact that Jeff Hardy has been on this roster for, what, 20 years? Give or take. And he still goes to the top rope and gets distracted by somebody coming on the Titan Tron. it's it's the insulting and the fact that you're using Irish the Irish wrestler Seamus as the guy to encourage (laughs) him to drink yeah (laughs) no Chris that's not a stereotype what are you talking about Uh, he has like Guinness posters on his wall and stuff (laughs) I mean that's rough that might be his like actual guys we're being we're being too subtle with this what can we do to add to you know what if we put beer posters in the background yeah maybe that'll hit hit it home you know, I, I, I'm just someone who's not, I wouldn't say I'm easily offended, but like, I mean, you, you could, you're like, you're stacking <laughs> layers, you're stacking layers of offensive material on top of each other, each one of which you might be able to get past. But like, at a certain point, I'm just like, this is low key one of the most tacky angles they've run on WWE television probably in the last five years. And I don't you know think it's really being next appreciated week, Chris, as such. Chris, next week we could send them to rehab and we'll just have. We'll have Seamus come in with, with a in bar. Rehab. Yeah. <laughs> Pours, he's, he's in rehab, and he's meeting with a psychologist. Seamus busts into the psychologist's appointment, knocks out the psychologist, and just starts pouring Jack Daniels in Jeff Hardy's face. No, he offers the shrink a drink, and he... And, <laughs> and the shrink starts drink. drinking. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, lo- I love booze. <laughs> Dr. Furley, what's your brand of cocktail? I'll take an old-fashioned if you have one. Sure thing, coming up. Shake, 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 yeah. shake. <laughs> That's comedy, pal. Yeah, no. So, I, I mean, I, I, I hated this. Also, like, if you're going to have Jeff Hardy have a match with either Miz or Morrison, please, John Morrison, please, John Morrison, and not The Miz. Let Miz talk. Let John wrestle. The men's tag, I thought, redeemed things because before the men's tag, even though there was no finish to it. Um, it Lacey least... Evans. Uh, oh, and, and, Chris, oh. is karaoke not a good basis for a wrestling feud? And especially two heel turns within the same segment. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, we have Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, Naomi, and Tamina, and Tamina out there. Tamina Russo's cut off. T- Tamina three was of the amazing. They cut off three of the four. They all start fighting. Lacey starts fighting Naomi, but then Dana Brooke comes in to to 
help Naomi. Tamina tries to break it up. Dana Brooke then turns on Tamina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it was very weird to have um, Lacey be presented as a heel. Yeah, when she had just turned baby. Right, and they, they, I mean, we've always had issues with her, her baby presentation, but, like, here's an issue. Um, and then, yeah, Dana Brooke, they had been making her a, a wacky, zany, likable mm-hmm. uh, baby face character, and she comes out as the honky-tonk man. And, and, and is it here, – here's another way of thinking about this. Is it that the baby face heel dynamic was determined purely by who you were karaokeing I th- as? <laughs> So I think they went, all right, heels are going to he- sing heel songs. Baby faces are going to sing baby faces songs. Yes. And, and and so, I mean, the other thing is. And let's so we're not... thoroughly confused by what Tamina was right now. And, and, and it might not matter next week. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, I, which is a running problem on this show. But um, Lacey Evans' uh, inability to s- sing country. Like, I, I hope that was heel singing is, is all I can say. I mean, I, obviously, uh, Dana Brooke as Honky Tonk Man was heel singing. I was not I'm I'm hoping that the plan was for Lacey to heel sing because uh if that was real sing oof really they needed that bar from last week's smackdown out there before anybody sang cuz karaoke should only be done after a couple of cocktails yeah and, and that uh that bartender I hope he's okay I hope he's okay we didn't get an update on him yeah, we didn't so get an update on him yeah, yeah 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 smoke bartender <laughs> Um, but no, the main event was good. Uh, you know, Cesaro and Nakamura and the New Day also seem like guys kind of similar to Nakamura, born again hardcore. Yeah, right. No, and this is my my comp here is it's it's like what's going on in the women's division right now, where they're enjoying the pairing that they're in. They feel like that they're in some degree of creative control here, and like it's just not being overwritten. Um, after after. Cesaro and Nakamura were broken off from Sami Zayn and there was less writing going into the stuff that they were doing every week. It, it just ended up working out a little bit better. And Cesaro now is kind of filling in the charisma vacuum that like initially was there. And like you know, Nakamura has, he's got swagger. It's just like, you know, you can't have him saying everything. Um, you have to have Cesaro doing a little bit of the talking here too. Yeah. Just make him a badass. That's all yeah. you have to do. All you have to do is make people badasses and people will watch. But, yeah, like a two-thirds, one-third talking dynamic where, like, Cesaro says, like, two-thirds to maybe even 75% of the, of the words. And then when Nakamura speaks, he says something cool. Yeah, make, and make them, offset them to the New Days. <laughs> All the New Days promos are are Biggie trying to make the interviewer a corpse. I've, I've come to this conclusion. If you look at his facials when he's doing it, what he's doing with his body, if you watch that interview when Schreiber's inter- introducing him and you just watch what Biggie's doing in terms of mad dogging Sarah at that time. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, there's a, you, there's you a lot the, of joking on the square that has really populated the new day act, I have especially, no especially coming from Biggie. Biggie is a yeah. big, uh, joking on the square kind of guy, mm-hmm. but, but I have no problem with they're here to have fun. As long as you counterbalance that with they're here to kick ass and make money. And also that the, there's some substance underneath it. Like, it, it would be one thing to superficially just read the pancake stuff and some of the other stuff that they do. Like, you could just read it on one level. But, like, there's clearly uh, there's clearly layers to the New Day Act, um, I think some of which is not even appreciated by uh, people backstage. Yeah, there's a subversive thing to, to the New Day that, that, that people aren't catching on. 
backstage. Yes, yes. And I, I think for especially for you and me, and like other people who are a little more savvy with wrestling and know, you know, kind of what's going on in the industry and all that stuff. Um, that also gives us something to have a little bit of fun with too. It, like they've, they have found a way to um, put a lot of wrinkles into their act and appeal to a lot of different audiences. So, Fighter Fest Week Two or the Great American Bash Week Two? Which word do you like to go to? Well, I mean, Fighter Fest did win in the demo. <laughs> All right, the Great. I loved the Eight Man Tag. I didn't love it as much as a lot of people did, but it was pretty damn fantastic. My, I, I get the story of the match. The story of the match is that FTR and the Young Bucks do work great together, but the miscommunication is what's gonna undo them. Yeah, these are great wrestlers with personalities that are explosive and combustible. Uh, Ray Phoenix with that Canadian destroyer to the outside was something. Uh, <laughs> my one concern was they love putting the butcher in these positions of do something strong right now. And you can tell he's kind of tired. He gets lost too. Uh, I, I like, like, I think the butcher's got potential. I think he's got a good look too. Yes. Um, but men he with also... monocles, big burly men with monocles. I'm all about it. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's kind of he's kind of got a big bully Busick thing going a little bit. Busick, uh, he has that Ole Anderson, Stan yeah. Hansen. Yeah, he's got you a know, look. The... Yeah, he's got a great look. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I dig it. Uh, but there are definite points in this match, especially when you're working with like the Young Bucks and FTR and all these other teams that have really great timing. The Butcher does not have that yet, um, and that's stuff that only comes with spending years in the ring, um, and also you know some natural. Uh, natural ability too um and i think the butcher is working from a shallower reservoir of natural ability and so he needs some time um to kind of really build up and also he needs to be put in spots where he can really excel and they just need to do i mean for me it's one of those things where how do i put this modern day tag team wrestling revolves around so many set pieces that i think the butcher is so much of a throwback if it was just a kick punch beat a guy down type of thing, it would be so much simpler for him to do that. It's like having Mongo in there yeah. and putting him up against luchadors. And you don't want that. You know? Well, you, you know what the issue? Okay. So like, I mean, obviously Mongo has many issues and we're all in love with the, that's our Mongo. And he's account. better than Mongo. Don't oh, you know, no, wrong. for sure. For sure. Um, but like one of the big issues with Mongo is that like Mongo would try to like uh, one of the many issues, uh, other than like having happy feet and all, all the other things is he try to fly around, right? Like he would, you try to move around too much. Um, and I think, you know, with the butcher, what does he need to do? Big, long stalling suplexes and, you know, Power moves. All he needs Deliberative to do is power body slams. Uh, you know, uh, stuff that looks really painful, um, particularly because it's slow and deliberative. Yeah, it, it's... <laughs> it's... I don't know. He's, he's a guitar player, not a bass player, but I'm thinking of a musical reference where it's like, okay, you want a bass player to have a solid bass line. You don't need them to be Flea or Les Claypool. All the yeah. time. Yeah, Jaco Pistorius. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, when I, I, was I was going to school up in Denton, um, one of the big issues back in the day is like, I'd try to find a bass player. I would. <laughs> I used to ask him what they thought of Jaco Pistorius, Jeff, because I, I played with one guy who was very obsessed with him, and like 
most impossible dude to play with in the world. Talented guy, good bass player, but um, not Jocko. The, when the do I get who, my solo? You're the bass dude, player. You <laughs> changed the mix so that he's like all up in the mids and stuff, and it was like smothering my guitar. And then he would also just go meandering super high into the frets, into the guitar range, and it's all over the place. And it's very hard to work with, and only works kind of well on its own. Um, to no, get okay. back to the butcher here, what I'd like to see him do more of is a set. You remember Kevin Sullivan used to do the Tree of Woe. Mm-hmm. Butcher should incorporate the Tree of Woe as one of his signature spots and moves that kind of have that level, that vibe. Clotheslines, suplexes, belly to backs, things that cause a lot of pain because he is a butcher, and then work up to one day on a pay-per-view he can do a somersault tope off, off, the, off the top rope. <laughs> yeah, right. Because everyone's got to do one eventually. I mean, everybody's you know, got to I mean, do one eventually. But I only want him to do it once. You know, I only want him to do a moonsault once ever in his career. Anything like that, because because that stuff amuses me. But overall, I just want to see him be a, a guillotine leg drop. Um, because he is the butcher, makes some sense. Let Blade be the technical guy. Let him be the power guy and use that dynamic. But no, I, I I thought that this match was I mean beyond extremely watchable. This was this mm-hmm. was a good match. It, it did suffer from a little bit of like you know the indie riffic. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you're not clear who's in the ring at this time. Maybe there's too many people in this match sort of issue. But uh, you, you're trying to tell a story about the young bucks and FTR, and I, I mean I think that story, the beats of that story were clear enough in the presentation that I, I one would have to have been deliberately trying to miss it. And I think they're going a little too quick to FTR versus the Lucha Brothers. I get that this is a match-based thing, but we are just burning through matches right now. And I'm like, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I, I think want, I want all the FTR for stuff this kind of thing. I want, uh, they're I also want apparently things... teasing a Rock and Roll Express versus FTR thing here. Oh, with Ricky Morton on Twitter. Yeah, Ricky Morton's teasing something. I'm fine with that. I'm, I am I mean, fine with that a... too. Um, I just, I, I mean, FTR is. I, I like all of the ideas and all of the pairings conceptually. I just think the execution of them is generously, extraordinarily rushed. Yes. And I, I don't think they've gotten themselves over on the mic. I nope. think they're trying to get them over in the ring. And we already know they're great wrestlers. I want them to be a great presence yeah, in this and division. I also want to have a, some sort of strong connection with them one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And right now it's like super in the middle. And the problem with in the middle is that you don't feel one way or the other. Chris, my problem with AEW right now is that there's a common trope within their match structure. And this comes from having a WCW Nitro era mentality where your mid card is there to put over your stars, but in doing so they have a great match. You know, it's the underdog goes against the star and almost beats him. But it never, but that never really gets over the underdog and it never really elevates the star. And you're getting that a lot with the Janela versus murder Hawk. You kind of had that with Ricky, uh, uh, kid from NWA that I'm, can't remember his last name. Oh, Ricky, uh, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks versus yeah. Cody. Jungle Boy versus Cody. Um, here you had it with Private Party versus uh, Omega and Paige. And you kind of had it with Orange Cassidy and Jericho. And it's fine if you do it once in your main event. And it's your main event. And you're trying to get over that guy. Because I thought Orange Cassidy versus Jericho was great. 
Don't get me wrong. I love yeah, it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll table that because I, I, I have more thoughts on Orange okay. Cassidy and Jericho. But if you do it three times a show, it loses its effectiveness to me. Yeah. So, I mean, with Private Party, like, let's start there. Um, I thought that that match had some issues. Um, I, I think that Private Party has a hard time kind of hitting their beats and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And they just – and also, once you beat them – like and you beat them in that way. I don't. Where? How do they come back from that? Right. They're, they're, what? We're gonna have a feud with the best friends or Butcher and the Blade. Right. What's the rebuild for Private again, Party? But... Yeah. And and you paired them with Matt Hardy to manage them uh, to kind of give them that extra shot in the arm. Um, and theoretically, or like at least if I was booking that match, Matt would he wouldn't have like helped them get the win, like in the sense of cheating to help them get the win, but. Matt would have, you know, it, the story should have been like essentially uh, this. This should have been to me where Omega and Paige broke up, um, it, because otherwise, Private Party has nowhere else to go. I'm not saying that Private Party is a main event tag team. Um, I, I, I don't think they are. I, I think that they, they need to. They got. They just Quinn. Quinn's the Quinn's the good one, right? I think they're both good. I, I, I think one's, Quinn's, one's Quinn's better than more, the other. I can't remember. Mark I, Quinn I is the more flashy one. Let's yeah, Quinn, Quinn's got something. But, like, there is just a bunch of stuff. Like, it all needs to be dialed down, um, and they need to have more of a... They do moves. Yes, right. They do that, moves. That's my issue with them is they do moves. They don't do matches. They do moves. Right. And there's certain... Like, even the quote-unquote beats in their matches aren't even like beats as in narrative beats. They are literally like, okay, he's going to do the silly string. Yeah. Um, um, I just, I think, uh, I think they need to be workshopped a lot. Um, I don't think Matt Hardy brings a lot to the act. I don't think he brings anything to the act unless Matt Hardy is going to tell them that they need to change stuff up after this. Like this loss shatters private party and they go, okay, we need to, you know, maybe, maybe the party needs to be shuttered for a minute and we need, uh, you know, something, something to get them a little bit more. I gotta be honest, unless Jeff Hardy's coming in as Matt Hardy's partner, I don't see the, I don't see the point. I, I agree. I agree. Um, and, you know, if Jeff, Jeff, who would blame Jeff for wanting to get off of WWE television at this point? Uh, I've tabled Orange Cassie and Jericho. I'll get through my other two points. Sure. Um, it's a tale of two managers, one who hasn't appeared yet and one who is killing it. I love Taz. I, I do. He's so uh, good. He, he brings, he, he brings, um, how should I, how should I, doom foreboding menace. evil He's menace. Menacing. That's the word I'm looking for. The yeah. menace that I'm missing. Like without Jake being evil, Jake brings menace, but he brings that mustache twirling horror movie menace. Right. Taz brings, I'm going to take you in the alley and kick your ass menace. And, he, and he's like laughing at you like, ho, 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 you're screwed kind of menace. And like when he's laughing at you, like he actually means it. But yeah. With, with Jake, it's like, I might pull out the snake. Yeah, I'm I'm evil versus I'm violent is is Jake versus Taz and I have no problem with the FTW belt. I have no problem with belts as long as they mean something. And if they make the FTW belt mean something, I'm perfectly okay with it. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've I, lived I, I through a territory system yeah. where everybody had a belt and they all meant something because everybody was in a feud. I'm good with that. It worked for Million Dollar Man. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, my, the million my... dollar belt. The million dollar belt. Like, I mean, not every presentation of the million dollar belt angle, but like the million dollar belt. 
like it did something and 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 like a prop belt can do something but you could also introduce the ftw title as as a specific title and give it its own set of stipulations or whatever like like so i'm um i'm intrigued by this i think tass is just crushing it i i I completely concur with you Of, of all the people who are managers right now um you know, I think Taz is probably the strongest manager of any manager across promotions. And like, I really like Malcolm Bibbins, but they're not doing a ton with him at that point. Or and I like point. Tully, and they're not doing anything with him. They have him with an act that is mid card at best. I mean, Taz is better. Taz is better yeah. than Tully. I like Tully. Um, but I think I mean, Taz, Taz just like that was awesome. Like he did a great job this week. Uh, I, I've got no other notes other than like I. I think he plays well off of Cage, and I love the fact that like they've worked in this little tribute to Chris Canyon into like their whole act. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I lived through my my first couple years of wrestling fandom. You had <laughs> the Mid Atlantic Tag Titles, the National Tag Titles, the World Tag Titles, the NWA National Title, the the U.S. title, the world title, the Brass Knucks title, the TV title, and they all had their own little feud. And, you know, they, they could get you excited for a Ron Bass versus Manny Fernandez match. I'm I'm here for that, you know, for a, for a third-rate title. You know, as long as you have guys who the title means something to them and they're emotionally invested in the feud, it's fine. And it appears, you know... Cage isn't my favorite wrestler in the world, but having a guy who can talk for him makes him exponentially better. And I think if Taz is working with Cage a little bit more on the matches to make his matches more matches and not just moves, because that's always been my knock on Cage as a performer, is it's not that mm-hmm. he can't do good moves. He does do good moves. It's that sometimes, um, not all the time, because there were several Lucha Underground matches I really liked with him, um, right up to and including the one where he tore the belt in half. Um, he has matches that are good matches, but sometimes he also has matches that are just a sequence of power moves, um, without any coherent plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he I'm just wants to show off his strength. And the other person I'm guessing you want to talk about is uh, Nyla Rose and her hypothetical manager. I hope that they use somebody they already have. I, I'm, I am now ready for an intergender stable of some kind. We're kind of getting that with the with the Dark Order with uh, Anna J eventually. Yeah, right, right. I don't think we need another legend attached to wrestler. I think it's going to be Vicky Guerrero. I think, I think, they're, and I, I don't like, you know, I'd much rather, I have no problem with a man managing a woman. I don't. I, I think they, they're doing that to kind of keep it, make it seem like it's empowering, but to me it's more pandering than anything. Um, What I enjoyed, the best part of this promo, because uh the Nyla stuff, it, right down to the squash match. Um, I it just none of it's doing anything for me at this point. The best part of this whole sequence was uh, when it cut to Penelope Ford at one point. She's like, "Wait, is it me?" And then Kip Sabian <laughs> was like, "You've already got a manager, baby." <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did like great. that. I, I hated the Nyla Rose is going to make an announcement, and then she comes out and goes, "I'm going to have my match do all the talk." I go, "No, I was I was promised an announcement. I, I want an announcement, please." I just, I, I hate, I hate that trope. That trope is just, it's dead. It's buried. Have them cut a promo. Yeah. Um, and I just, uh, the squash match, I, I, like Rose is a little bit, uh, kind of dead in the water here. And I, I mean, I, my interest in more Nyla Rose versus Hikaru Shida is basically at zero right now. And I don't think a manager's going to change that. 
So what do you want to say about Jericho and Orange Cassidy? Okay, so we loved the build for Jericho and Orange Cassidy. And a big part of the build was built around this idea that Orange Cassidy was going to show a new fire and a, a new level of intensity. And it seemed like they had caught on to that, that they were focusing on the blood on the shirt. And he comes out, and he's a little whimsical, but then he's kind of a little more serious. He's a little more dialed in. And then the first thing he does is put his hands in his pockets. And then he gets serious. But then later in the match, he puts his hands in his pockets. And let us go back to the Jericho promo from last week, where he was like, if you put your hands in your pockets, I'm going to beat you. Then Orange Cassidy loses. So, like, the build here should have been no hands in the pockets. Orange Cassidy comes down, and he is just pummeling Jericho. Jericho sees an all-new Orange Cassidy. At the end of the show here, Orange Cassidy is standing tall. Jericho is defeated, having underestimated Orange Cassidy, um, having thinking that he was getting into Orange Cassidy's head, not getting into Orange Cassidy's head. Now Orange Cassidy is ready for the main event title picture. Now Orange Cassidy can be talked about as an opponent for Cody Rhodes. Now Orange Cassidy can be talked about as an opponent for John Moxley because he has this big signature defining win over Chris Jericho. Instead, Cassidy makes the mistake of putting his hands in his pockets, not once, but twice. And the first time, and, and I guess the second time as well, the first time was like a big F you to Jericho, which he then loses to. Which he then loses to. So, like, the story of this is incoherent. And, yeah, it was great that they did the blood... I mean, it wasn't even a blood spot. It's great that they had this awesome character-defining moment a week ago. But the booking for this match undid whatever characterization you were doing. Oh, he looked good in the loss. Get lost with that. Like, he needed to beat Chris Jericho. And, oh, by the way, Chris Jericho, he needed to win. So I don't care about how many near falls he kicked out of. I don't care that he kicked out of the cold breaker. He didn't kick out of the Judas effect. That stupid back elbow that Jericho has been phoning in his matches with for the last three and a half, four years. He couldn't kick out of a back elbow. Um, a back elbow that you'd be particularly vulnerable to if you had your damn hands in your pockets. So, like, this... This match, um, yeah, Cassidy had some good work in it, Jerry had some good work in it or whatever, but this match sucked because it didn't actually accomplish what needed to be accomplished for Orange Cassidy. Wow. I did not realize you had that much anger in you about this match. I I thought he I was ready win. to get invested in Orange Cassidy, and this yeah. match took me out of that investment. I think they're trying to hold off until crowds, and who, who knows when that's going to happen, but I, I just... I. I think he needed to win. I don't think Jericho is, is Jericho going to hold the, the big belt again. I mean, here's the other thing. You know, what's where my anger's coming from. It's been all this self-indulgent booking around Chris Jericho. Go on. I mean, go uh, the commentary stuff. Pineapple Pete. I hate that guy. I'm going to get myself over on the microphone. I'm going to wrestle against a guy who doesn't even talk. If you're going to wrestle against a guy who doesn't even talk and you're going to constantly cut promos or whatever, that guy just needs to shut you up. The guy who never talks needs to shut you up. Um, like because the Orange Cassidy character doesn't really have extended promos available to him as like a as a tool for characterization. Like Jericho needs to be shut the hell up. Um, and also, like, Jericho just needs to stop being the center of the show. Jericho's theme song is the most over-theme song in the company. Um, like, all the, it's Jericho, 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 Jericho. Um, and to a certain extent, yes, I, I know that he's helping to build up some young guys. Sort of, 
Sort see, of. I, see, I'm, I need to cut you off there because I hate that mentality. I, I hate, I hate, 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 hate. If hate were people, it'd be China <laughs> mentality that if you're in the ring, because this is TNA mentality. It, it's if you were in the ring with a former WWE guy, you become a star. You're getting a rub and you're not. Yeah. And you're not. Pineapple Pete is Pineapple Pete. Right. Remember I said, like, once you get framed, once you get framed as Pineapple Pete, I hate that guy. Um, once you get framed as that, that, that is a lower mid-card thing. And, and Pineapple Pete should have gotten a roll-up on Jericho. Remember what happened to Pineapple Pete? He got goobed. He got goobed mm-hmm. rather effortlessly. Yeah, and Orange Cassidy got goobed in his own way. I mean, I loved... He kicked out of a code breaker, Jeff. He was great. Look, he was great with the focus in the match. He was great with the deflection of the... How would you put the... Uh, the the self-indulgent uh soft kicks to the shin going into the super kick the real super kick i'm fine with that i'm fine with that as a lull but he has to win this match right to make it matter and no and, just, and particularly because jericho said if you put your hands in your pockets i'm gonna beat you because of that beat in the promo which i guess both of them forgot about once you plant that seed dude went pockets he lost moral of the story is jericho beat- was right who are you going to have beat Jericho for that first singles loss? Jungle Boy? We already did that with the title thing. So right. I I just, I, I'm like. Oh, it's, oh it's, God, you know who it's going to be? It's going to be Marco freaking Stunt. I don't think so. I think it's going to be no, Sammy. No, actually, didn't he already beat Marco Stunt? I think it has to be Sammy at this point turning, right? Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it, maybe he, yeah, he turns on Sammy. We, we relaunched Sammy as a baby face. Um, having that's, been, a, that's a long ways off. I just. I, I know. I mean, okay, we're building up. Why does Jericho need to be built? He's a known commodity. And then, I mean, like, you know, let's stick with Sammy for a second here. So so then the question is, why would it be Sammy or someone else and not Orange Cassidy, who seems to be like, yeah, to me, is the guy. Like, like, this is the guy you build up. guy in the company, and you don't put him over a star. I just, I just, if you haven't lose to Moxley, I get this. Jericho isn't in the title picture right now. He can be beat. He can be built back up as a cha- as a former champion, but he doesn't need to win this. That's that's what confused me. Yeah, no, I, he just there was no reason for him to win this. And then he won. And, and I mean, the most important thing is so they're putting over that no one's ever kicked out of the Judas effect. I'm sorry. At minimum, at absolute minimum, Cassidy should have kicked out of the damn Judas effect. Yeah, I, I think he should have won. That's me. No, I no, I think he should have won. Yeah, obviously. Clearly, I'm angry <laughs> about that. Um, but, like, at bare... I mean, the fact that he didn't even kick out of the Judas effect and commentary's putting that over at the end, he's just like all the rest of them is the moral of the story. And yeah. if you don't like hearing that about your guy, Orange Cassidy, then you should be upset about this match. And it, and it also it just strains credulity to have uh, Proud and Powerful come out there to interfere, and yeah, okay, Orange Cassidy sent his boys to the back, but you don't think they should be monitoring the situation and come out there immediately yeah. when they see this? Yeah, they, they. Yeah, I mean, when he sent him to the back, he sent him to the back and go like, all right, now make sure I get my ass kicked. It was, I don't need your help unless something gets dicey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got dicey. And, and where were the, what, what's the name of that team, Jeff? What are they called? Uh, I believe they are called Best Friends. Oh, yeah, where were his friends? Very WWE-like booking. Yeah, and, and and just sloppy storytelling. I, I, I mean, in, in a, a 
okay to above average match with a piss poor story and a piss poor conclusion to a story. Okay, we'll finish up with the NXT Great American Bash. Uh, overall, I thought it was good. I thought it was sandwiched by two very good matches with uh, some filling in there that. Uh, what, what Bronson Reed and Tony Nese didn't light your world on fire? Look, Chris, we know, Chris, you are a big fan of Tony Nese. You are a. <laughs> <laughs> that feud must continue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I liked Candace and Mia, I thought they, they beat the crap out of each other. And that's all. I yeah, they sure fight. did. That was a good match. I thought. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think. Look, the histrionics of, uh, of the post match were a bit much, though. Right. That Just was weird. A bit yeah, much. yeah. And it was weird because it was going on like picture in picture and stuff. Like, and so you had to really be paying attention to her, with the chair and stuff in the little small screen. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. No. Um. I, I thought this was a good match, though. Um, I, I, I like the story of the match. I, I mean, Candice and uh, Mia work well together, and, like, this stip worked really good for them. Um, yeah. And, and then, like, yeah, to your point, Bronson Reed, Tony Nese, Johnny Gargano, and Swerve Scott. You know, there's not, it was like, good. I, it, it, wasn't, was, it was good. It was I don't, good. I don't, understand, I don't understand what they're doing with Swerve. I got to be no, honest I don't understand with you. What, yeah, was, right. Because when they first debuted him, and then they debuted him in 205, and then they debuted him on NXT. He was hot. And now he's not hot anymore. And it's and I tough, don't think like, you, you know, in the, the fake audience mode. But, like, yeah, no, they don't – they always had a struggle for characterization, but people people just were on board with Isaiah Swerve Scott. Um, maybe, when he maybe, almost beat Gulak for the title. Right, right. Yeah. But and, that, I mean, NXT has gone through so many reshuffles and resets and – 205 Live as a brand is now basically derelict. Because I watched 205. Oh, you did? I did. It's a ghost ship? It's now down to a half hour. (laughs) Uh, Mansoor versus, I want to say it was Leon Ruff, but I might be wrong about that. I don't think it was Ruff. It was somebody else. It was, oh no, it was, uh, it was, it was the Isaiah Swerve Scott knockoff. You remember that guy? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, and then and yeah, then you had a you had a pretty good uh, Oni Lorcan versus uh, Santos Escobar match. It yeah, like that good. that would be cool. That would be cool, right? Like like Oni Lorcan and Santos Escobar. I mean, Oni's great because you could just kind of like drop him into a match. But this, gonna... but but man, it's in that PC. It's a half hour. It feels yeah. like filler, and they get out of there. Oh yeah, and I mean. Look, Oni and Oni and uh, Santos are n- no better than to turn in A level work on two hundred five freaking live. I mean, well, what did you think of Santos and uh, and the crew against Brizongo and Drake Maverick? Like, I think that this was a perfectly serviceable match. I just like. What are we doing with Drake? Yeah, that's sort of my issue. It is like why is he I, taking I, the loss? That's right. Why, why is like, he eating the pin here? I, yeah, I don't, I don't get like it, it's weird because it was like the focus of the match from the babyface side was actually on Brizongo yeah. and, and not on Drake. And so my issue is that you had this you know white hot, especially in the context of uh, NXT television, you had the uh, white hot Drake Maverick character and. It is Brizongo who gets the cool fancy pants entrance. Drake isn't even like a part of that. Like, it'd be, I guess it'd be one thing if you're pairing Drake with Brizongo as like a long term pairing, but you're not. 
So then Drake eats the pin, and he's the guy who has to go back to a singles competition here. I think the right team won, but I think like Fandango should have been eating the pin here. Right, because you want to keep the Drake Maverick chase hot. It doesn't make him hot when you keep you know the worst him. part. Of, you know the worst part about it is it's Escobar pinning Drake Maverick. Yes. Yeah. Clean. Not even uh, was it clean? I can't even remember that. Clean-ish. Back. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it, there wasn't like a. It wasn't a grand cheat. Was it like I, a minor Escobar, distraction? He, he crotched him on a turnbuckle. Oh. Is that cheating? No. I don't think. Not really. No. no. Yeah, no, I mean, it sucks to fall on, on the boys during a match, but um, that's not cheating. Yeah, I just, I, I, Chris, I just want guys under the, I want young stars, and you don't get that on any of the three brands, and people are saying that that's an issue, you know, with with NXT hotshotting everything, and all your, all your stars are 33 and up for the most part. I just, I don't, I don't. NXT should be the young stars brand. Yes. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you. I, I will say. If you want to get a young demo back, it helps to have people who are relatable. That, that's yeah, the other thing. It, I mean, and, and by young stars, what we're saying here, because 30s is young in the context of wrestling, especially if you look at historically. Now it is. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Be. But, like, I mean, even Flair and Bachwinkle, these these are guys who had very strong runs in their 40s. Yes. Um, yeah, so, I, I, I mean, I, in professional wrestling, you I'm not can, being. Age, I'm not trying to be ageist here. I'm, I'm just not saying, saying you're trying to. NXT, no, no, no. NXT no, needs to differentiate itself. I'm teasing in out some your way. idea. I'm teasing yeah. out your idea a little bit here. I, I mean, NXT should be the place where the star of the brand is in their mid to late twenties, and thirty is sort of the magic number. Where it's not like, oh, you're too old for this, but like thirty, you know, the thirties main roster age. Um, and, and maybe we bring back veterans in their thirties to help put over the young talent in their early to mid twenties to help get them to that mid or to get them to that championship level. Um, in their mid twenties, mid to late twenties. Um, but yeah, I, this NXT is the brand that Adam Cole should be the champion of from ages twenty five to thirty, and mm-hmm. then moving on to other work. Not because NXT you know, doesn't need him anymore, but because NXT should always be trying to get that person from age 21 to 22 on the track to success for their mid-20s. The Robert Stone brand continues to be the Robert Stone brand. Yeah, I, I mean, what what is oh, to say? Oh, he threw a drink on Damien, or not Damien Priest. No, <laughs> you know, here, here's the thing, here's the thing. I think he's going to beat him. I think he's going to beat Killian Dade. I think oh, he's going to get a win. Yeah, I think oh, this is going to be Robert Stone's first big win, and it's going to be the thing that he's high over the moon on. Oh, God. Uh, Mercedes Martinez re-debuted. No longer from Waterbury, Connecticut, now from the Bronx. I, I, I love – it was a wrinkle that only, like, I noticed, I think. But it's like, are they – I don't know if Mercedes Martinez lives in New York. But they're obviously wanting to make her tougher by saying she's from the Bronx as opposed to Waterbury, Connecticut. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I think, you know, it's good to have a new strong heel in the mix. Um, I think especially the idea of Io Shirai versus Mercedes Martinez in like a main event. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm way into it. So like, no, this is uh, the start of uh, what I believe is a positive direction. We had Damian Priest on here, didn't we? Did, did he face Grimesy? Or I think he's uh, facing Grimesy next week. Next week, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
we already went through Tony Neeson, <laughs> unless you have something else to say about that match. No. Um, I didn't realize they were in a feud. I, I must have missed bro, that one. No, no, okay. That, they basically set that crap up uh, during, like, the pre-show or whatever. Oh. It, it was kind of the same thing that they did with uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott. It was, like, pre-show, like, the phony baloney booking. Like, they didn't do any build. I mean, to that point. This is the type of match that is not NXT TakeOver worthy. And one thing that they, I mean, they call it the Great American Bash. They didn't call it TakeOver. But, like, that that kind of booking is not the quality of booking that we have come to expect from NXT booking. And I think it's hurting their brand. Then to end the show, we had a pretty solid match, I thought. I liked Keith Lee this versus Adam Cole. This is a good match. Uh, yeah, no, this, I, I liked this match, man. I thought, I thought that this was the right guy won. I liked the end beat. I, I, as, in terms of a story, comparing it to Jericho and Orange Cassidy, and then also keeping in mind the ratings, I think the right. I think a lot of people on Wednesday night made the right viewing decision because they got a much better story and, frankly, probably a better match over here. Trash talk is fine. Cutting promos mid match is not. That's no, my, yeah, that's yeah, the thing I'm just sure. done with because, like, for sure. Sasha used to do this all the time, and I'm just like, I, I don't want to see it from Sasha either. I, I just, it's. Some people are blaming that, saying it's an HBK trope. I I hope it's not because I'm I sorry. I love you against Ric Flair. That we this all goes back. That to was that. fine. That was fine as a right, moment to I know. end it. But yeah, just, I, I didn't. I mean, I don't. I, I don't think you can blame it all on that. Like the no, but Cole. Cole, you can't win the big one, Keith. Like yeah. like beyond everything else, that level of foreshadowing, at least, at least, unlike Jericho and Cassidy, that foreshadowing resolved in the right narrative conclusion. And I, I think this ends up okay. We have Lee with both belts now, but I think we're getting a three-way with Cross and Cole. And I think it's a way to have him lose one of the belts. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, I I liked the stuff with carrying Cross. I, I even liked the final shot of Cross. Uh, I thought that that was a good way of blocking and staging him. They're, they're giving it to him. Yeah. Let's see if he can run with it. I mean, I think he's winning the title. I think he's winning the yes. big belt. No, I th- okay, so I think the matches are going to be there. Let's hope that they actually get this characterization to something that's, like, legitimately cool the- and not goofy. Okay, but that makes Lee a transitional champion. Are you it- okay with that? Yeah, because I Lee, it, going back to what you were talking about earlier about what this brand is supposed to be about, Lee's not actually the blueprint for this brand. I like Lee. I'm glad that he, you know, achieved his limit or, you know, he, he proved that he was limitless, but like Keith Lee should be on the main roster. He should have been on the main roster after the rumble. Yeah. They should have called him up with, 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 the, Bro- with the Brock interaction. That, yeah. that, 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 that to me yeah, is right. That, to me, he's colder now than he was in January. That's the I agree. weird thing to me. I, I agree. So I, I mean, I am fine with this because now you have a photo op of him with both belts. He can say that he accomplished something important and notable in NXT and he really shouldn't be there anymore anyways. Um, also, having Karrion Cross maybe upsetting him and really presenting it as this big, like, an upset in the sense that, like, Cross's rise was so fast. Like, we remember the Tommaso Ciampa match, but, like, to have that visual of him, like, cutting through Ciampa and then cutting through Keith Lee, I think would be strong and striking and actually put some equity into Cross. Yeah, the problem is you have the Ciampa problem. You can't ever put him back on TV again. <laughs> Here, you have to move him up or something. If you destroy Lee, nobody will remember that when you introduce him on the main roster. 
Yes, right. And I know I think that that's probably true, though, with Tommaso Ciampa. Ciampa should be on the main roster, and there's no reason, given the circular motions that we have been doing with Seth Rollins and Andrade and Angel Garza and all these other people, there is space for Tommaso Ciampa. Tommaso Ciampa coming up and feuding with Seth Rollins, I'm here for that. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know. Do you break up the Undisputed Era? Do you bring them all up in mass? Do you just bring up Cole and have the other three down there? Because I just, I I don't see... They I really see dropped Vince, the ball on the faction story. Well, I see Vince coming in, looking at the Undisputed Era, going, they're too tiny, we'll put them with, we'll put them with a real star, and they become red shirts. That's oh, my, oh that's, they get paired with Randy Orton. Vin, that, Vince's move, Vince's move would make he would make the undisputed era the henchman of Randy Orton. And then Orton eventually RKO's them all and makes them geeks. Yeah, um, I, yeah. The, the way, to, the way all, to actually build them would be they'd all gang up on Randy Orton and beat the hell out of him. But or Vince four on one against the Big Show and Big Show wins or something like that. Yes. <laughs> I just, no, they I, get I, they get Nexus treatment for sure. I don't want them to implode. I don't, you know, I don't think that's a, a. I mean, if you if you implode them, they just feud with each other for the next two years, and you get great matches, but you don't make any of them bigger stars. This no, and like Roddy's so not a big. super Roddy's not a super baby face, and like Adam's not a super baby face either. The guy who would be a super baby face out of that whole troop is Kyle O'Reilly, um, and I'm. Yeah, and you'd have to build them. You'd have to build them. Well, the cure really is to put them uh, is to retell the Adam Cole versus Daniel Bryan story and put them in that in the vanity fed in SmackDown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's where they they'd fit. But man, I got that fear. Someone's gonna look at them and go, "They're too small." Yeah, for sure. For sure. They're good little hands, you know. (laughs) Go fight. They're all great workers. Yeah, these are great workers. Cedric and Ricochet on main event. Woo. So yeah, Cedric, Cedric in particular. I mean, like they they have just they've gone all over the place. I'm hopeful MVP is going to kind of like rescue Cedric and give him a little bit of a reset here. They're doing the Apollo Crew story with him, yeah. though, which is so weird because it it's is. like, why didn't you pull the trigger here and now you're pulling? Okay, fine. And then Brendan Vink will come down. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, Remember you the know, one week. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, here's the thing. I'm I'm kind of into it. Like, if they want to build it eventually to Cedric Alexander versus Apollo Cruz, I'm into that. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't I don't think WWE has like any real interest. The standard in- podcast disclaimer: if booked properly. Oh well, yeah, right. But like, I mean, particularly with WWE these days, like it, what we were saying earlier with the karaoke stuff, they have whimsy whimsy driven booking impulses um oh, and no. chris next week we're having a beer pong feud it'll be great you and me are or uh seamus <laughs> and jeff hardy <laughs> oh i walked right into that and i didn't see it coming <laughs> well well yeah it was a, it was a good week for the grabs it just it just there's some there's Look, some there's questionable issues. booking yeah no there's, there's questionable booking in both, like, the narrative construction and in, uh, you know, I don't want to say t- taste makes you seem like a delicate flower, but, like, it is, like, legitimately rotten. To it's an upgrade m- from talking COVID and sexual assault. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, yeah, right, right. Uh, it, it, it feels like an improvement compared to where we were two I mean, this feels ago. like such a breeze to talk about again. We can just snark on wrestling instead of... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's it, we're only talking about alcoholism being made extremely light of. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, Only this week. 
can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. You can follow Voices of Wrestling at Voices Wrestling. All one word. VoicesOfWrestling.com, your one-stop shop for all fandom, all analysis of every single type of wrestling you can think of. Um, all of the flat, views. You, you can of, get them all there. Yeah. Uh, plenty of audio. If you, uh, if you only subscribe to us, please do check out the rest of the network. There are some good shows on there. Uh, such as Music of the Mat, the of course, the Voices of Wrestling flagship, which, <laughs> man, if you like your three-hour podcasts, that's the place for you because they never they they never fail to give you quality audio for three hours. Um, Wrestling Omakaze, uh, Open the Voice Gate, Everything Elite, the Wednesday Night Wars, just any kind of any kind of fandom you have, we have it there. Chris also does shows on the political bent. Uh, <laughs> things are weird right now, but Chris is on top of it. Yes, things are weird right now. I'm on top of it. Um, I just put out kind of like a cool documentary episode um, about the Voice of America. You might want to check that out. It's over at Don't Worry About the Government on Don'tWorry.tv, on pa- or on Patreon, on Stitcher, on iTunes, and now on Spotify as well. Um, and I'm also going to be like you know putting out. Some of the tracks and stuff that I've been working out over on Don't Worry About the Government. So if you want to check those out, subscribe up. Um, the first one will be dropping on this next upcoming episode that I'm about to tape after we get done here. If you've gotten this far, the Patreon is patreon.com slash shake them ropes. Oh, yeah. It's still I exists. wanted just coming back. We're going to celebrate fathers and sons, Jeff. And Chris is going to do a high wattage episode. I, no, I am. I am. I, like, for real. I'm going to tape one later today. I'm put, we're putting it out. It's happening. <laughs> 